Tim Carlisle has stood the test of time, day in and day out, for 71 years. He's an American war hero and one of the great legends of the Lower Keys. Timmy, as many of his friends call him, was born with a chest cavity too small for his loving heart. If his story doesn't bring you to your knees, make you want to race to your wife and kiss her face, nothing will. God save the Queen and Tim Carlisle. Hang on, everyone. Here comes a story for the ages. We broke everything. We broke lines. We broke hooks. We broke rods. We broke our minds. We broke marriages. We broke the whole thing. We uh, came up with the idea of going out that night and chasing girls, and whoever had the biggest pair of panties won the pot. I knocked another arrow, and he turned around the other way, and I shot him going through the other way. So I double-lunged him both ways. But it was nothing for us to paddle an air mattress out into government cut. I got him on. All right, now we're going to teach him a lesson. I'm just an old guy that likes to fish. I'm not quitting yet. And he said, well, who the hell do you think you are, Sue App? And I said, that's exactly who I am. Life's journey to the grave should not be one arriving with a pretty, well-preserved body, but rather skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly torn out, thoroughly used up, proclaiming wildly, wow, what a ride. (laughs) There's something fishy going on here. Uh, Captain Timmy Carlisle, man, it's been so much fun <laughs> seeing your lovely face at the dock for the last 35 years. I mean, you've uh, been there I mean, a long time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that's a whole lot longer than, than me because you've been a guide down here for 60 years. But I think um, one of the things that is such a an obvious thing to all the other guides and captains is that you have such a wonderful heart. You're caring, yeah. you're loving, and you've got a great sense of humor. I mean, we drive up this this morning to meet you here at your lovely home. And with um, the hurricane just passing, you know, there's water everywhere, puddles everywhere on the grass. And we get out of the truck, and first thing out of your mouth was, you didn't know, you didn't know I, I lived on, on a waterfront, did you? Yeah. No. <laughs> and that's, that's one thing that is bad right here. I mean, I was in Hurricane Wilma when it went up to the door. And lost all my vehicles right here. Wow! It went it went up to up to the hood of the car. That much water. Yeah, that was that storm that surge. Storm surge, and it came from the Gulf. And that's when I was worried. At this time, I'm saying, well, it's not a, a it's not a storm like the one that was Hurricane Wilma, but any storm that you get from that Gulf side, you're close you, to you're, the Gulf. Uh, you're, this water will run right down the road. It'll run right. I mean, did you? Uh, I Did you have any tailing bonefish the next morning in your front no, yard? No, but I had some barracudas in the in the in the yard, and I had one in the car in the truck. Did you really? What happened was my windows went down. I guess they shorted, and in my Silverado, and they the windows went down and water right inside it. It That's was all the crazy. way up to the council. And you found a barracuda in your yeah, car, truck. Yeah, in the truck and seaweed, bunch of seaweed and a little barracuda. Everything yeah. was was ruined. Yeah, it, and uh, my truck was a year old, and Gloria was only six months old. Oh my God! 
What's it, what kind of anxiety do you have living in, you know, this location where you are just so exposed to so many hurricanes every year? Yeah, th- this one here was 2004 when we moved here. Right. And I've been here since. I mean, but I used to live up on the Sugarloaf. But the thing is, and when you get these storms like this, anything that comes from the Gulf, any storm, any hurricane, I'm worried more tornadoes than anything else, you know? Right. And this is a low layer. The sugar loaf is really low. And uh, that's why they call it sh- lower sugar loaf. <laughs> <laughs> I want to take it back to your childhood. What was, what were you like when you were 10, 12, 13 years old? I was, I was 11, 11 years old when we moved here from Jacksonville. And all I wanted to do was be on the water all the time. I, my dad was in the Navy 20 years. He retired here, you know, and he wanted to be a charter captain and we had it. He loved hunting. He loved fishing, but you couldn't hunt down here, but you could fish. And, uh, my dad said, you know, he says, uh, I love to hunt. He wanted to really retire in Whidbey Island, Washington. But once we got to fishing and stuff like that, and that's all she wrote. I was with my dad hunting and fishing all the time. I spent more time. I was four years old when I was four years old. And Whidbey, I caught a four-pound, three-ounce rainbow trout on a salmon egg. And uh, I was in the paper for that. And I just, I, 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 I spend more time on the water than I do on land. I really do because I like it and I like the outdoors. And my dad's the one that got me in really into doing outdoor stuff. I've hunted and fished with him all the time. And that's what I do. And that, and i tell you something, you meet a lot of people in this kind of business when you're fishing. And I'm going to tell you something, I enjoyed every one of them. Right. Every one of them. They're like a family to you. I hear you. I mean, the the, the fishing family is just, yeah. I mean, even and, if you might know that one person that, that well, if they have an issue, you're going to go. Yeah. You're, gonna, you're in because yeah. of the blood that we all mm-hmm. have. Yeah, and, I, and I'll tell you something. The guys, uh, I can say to myself, and the same thing with Steve Huff, the same thing, we were growing up doing this. It wasn't something where uh, that I didn't do it before, but I was doing it. I was taking people fishing when I was 11 years old in a rental boat, and my dad would give me $5 to do this. And then there was days when I wanted to go fish myself and not go with the people, and my dad would say, okay, I got somebody who wants to rent a boat. I said, Dad, I'm just going to go myself. He says, nope, you got to take them in the rental boat. So I, that's how I kept doing it. And He, he groomed you to be yes, the guy that yeah, you've been for the exactly. last 60 years. Do you know that all that, that I was uh, in fish when I was doing the fishing, uh, all the tournaments, the Metropolitan, Miami, I was a little a junior fishing all of it. And I even got then got the Junior Angler Award, Good Master Angler. Good for you. Yeah, wow. and when I was 15 years old. Wow. You know what the biggest fish I caught? I used to use plug-in reels, not spinner reels, but plug casting. Right. And I used the Fluker Supreme with no drag. You know, you had to use your thumb and all this stuff. And uh, I caught this shark, 152-pound shark on 15-pound test line plug casting. With no drag. With no drag. Now, you want to hear what kind of shark it was? Nurse. You got it. <laughs> You're a smart man, the nurse shark. I called my dad up and told him that I needed him to get in the boat. So he came out in his boat to put this fish in the boat. 
I caught him on a Millie's bucktail. <laughs> <laughs> that is so when, funny. When Millie's, when Millie's had it. Right. But at that time, it didn't make any difference which kind of shark you caught. Right. But... But you were smart. That, 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 that was, was the one you that needed was to the target one. with a reel that had no drag. Exactly. And and the other good part is you're only in two feet of water, three feet of water. You, can, you can't miss them with the gaff. Yeah, because the, the gaff's eight feet long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't even really have to drop the, the bucktail in there. All you had to do was lean over and grab it. <laughs> but definitely... Uh, I, I fished a lot. I fished uh, when uh, Lee Baker and Susan Baker, you know, sure. the, when they, they had Metropolitan. The, the, it was, I mean, I had so many citations I got from that place. It's unbelievable. And now they're all gone because of the hurricane and all that. Right. But you lose a lot of stuff. And So you knew you you wanted to be a fishing oh, guy yeah, from I, really early on. I did. You know, I, I there was no way. I, in fact, my counselor at uh, high school, he said, Tim, what are you going to do? I, I, I believe it or not, I, I would not have anybody else do this, but at that time, me growing up, now you won't do it. But I quit on my 10th year of high school to, to fish. To fish, yeah. Just you to had fish. better things to and do. And my yeah. guidance counselor, uh, Jim Cass, he said to me, he said, Tim, he said, uh, well, good luck, because he loved fishing too. In fact, he he still fishes. He he's a, he guides out of Key West, I think. Uh, he's he was my guidance counselor. He said, "What are you going to do?" I said, "I'm going to become a guide, fishing guide." So, so when your dad came down here and loved to fish, was he an offshore guy? Did he love the backcountry? He, he did the offshore fishing. And so, how did you gravitate towards the the backcountry? He didn't do that much backcountry. I learned more that myself than 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 I did with my dad. Uh, in fact, my dad used to call the bonefish a mud sucker. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the he said, "You guys are those mud suckers." You know? <laughs> so uh, then he then he ends up he drove he had a uh, used to have a Thunderbird uh, Cathedral eighteen foot and he would go offshore fishing with that. But the boat before that was a Luger kit. He built his own boat, wow. eighteen foot long, had a little cabin on it. And he fiberglassed it. It was wood, and he built it at over at a place where we were renting at Bay Point. And uh, it was an old boat, had a 40-horsepower Evinrude on it. Now, what do you think he got paid full day fishing at that time, back in seven sixties 60s and stuff like that? 55 bucks. You're close. 45 $45 wow. a day. Wow. And you know what he had for chairs? He had lounge chairs, two say. lounge chairs nailed to the floor of the <laughs> of the boat, eighteen foot, and then when they broke, he just go down to Corey's. It was a McCrory's, what it was, a store down in Key West, and buy two more lounge chairs. <laughs> <laughs> Sophistication at its best. Oh yeah, it was unbelievable. There was no big fighting chair; it was just a little lounge chair to fold up. Right. I mean, would the straps break? You know, and <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> What's your greatest fishing story? I have a lot. I'm sure. I have Does a lot. Does anything stand out? Uh, I'll tell you something. Uh, I mean, you've, you've won all these tournaments. You've fished with well, all these You caught a lot of big fish. I see them on your walls here. Yeah, I fish. But my uh, my girlfriend, Gloria, was one of my best anglers. Yeah, I know. She won a lot of tournaments. I mean, I see her name in papers and... You know, I look over here, you know, yeah. 
big, the, big headlines, Gloria, yeah. you know. All these rods behind you are hers. Yeah, the ones on the back are hers. These are, they're mine here. And then I have a bunch downstairs, but those were all hers there in the tournament, you know. Right. And nobody, I, I don't use them, so. Yeah. But. Well, I'm sorry for your loss. She was obviously a very, very, very special person to the, this whole community. But, you know, and I hate to bring up a, a sad story, but it's a very, uh, it's a great story with she did when, you, when you guys sunk. sunk at sea. Yeah, that was another bad one. It was, uh, but I used to take my hues out there dolphin fishing all the time. And when it was flat calm, and I'd say to Gloria, I said, you want to go dolphin? Let's go get some dolphin, fill the freezer up or something, you know? Boom, we'd go out there. Well, that day, it, was, it wasn't the day to go out. And right. uh, the, the forecast was still one foot or less. Now, the day before, it was flat calm. But as we were going out, it was you could see the wind had already been picking up. And I'll never forget what Gloria said. We'd get out there, and she said, don't you think it's a little rough out here? I made a, a comment, and the comment was, well, if you didn't want to come out here, it was too rough, you didn't have to come out. I said that. And then it got so bad out there, and I'm trying to get back in, and uh, the seas built up to, oh, I'd say six and a half foot. I mean, they were, and uh, and I'm in a bone fisher, which is no flotation, you know, it's not, it didn't have flotation in it at that time. That was a Hughes, 18, seven, 17 foot Hughes, bonefisher. And uh, we started having motor trouble, and I had a Mariner motor, old, uh, that was a new Mariner, but it was giving me trouble. And when you're going down one wave, and you got a wave coming behind you, it forces your boat to go down. And what I did, trying to keep the motor going, it's submarine. Well, just before. We got ready to go down. I told Gloria, call Dan Key up and tell him we're having motor trouble so he knows where we're at. And that's a friend of mine that, and, uh, that we rented downstairs from. And uh, he, he said, do you think we should come out? And I said, yeah, it's too rough. It's too rough. Tell him it's, well, I told her to tell him it's too rough. And uh, so about that time, right after we made the call, that's when we sunk and the boat rolled upside down like this and then it went straight down like that and the only part was up was our life jackets were in the bow, the bow. when i ran up to get to the life jackets the boat was already going mm. and i couldn't get the hatch open and all of a sudden there it goes and so now we've got the flotation i had a uh, even had a life ring and it's all underneath the water and you can't get the hatch open down below the way it was sitting so I had a 120-quart igloo cooler tied to the bow of the boat and then across. So that's that was because when we were running, you know, it wouldn't slide out. That's sure. I didn't tie it on there before thinking we were going to sink. So Gloria held on to that cooler, the 120-quart igloo cooler on the handle, and she had just went through knee surgery about a month before that. So... It was not a pretty sight. So now it was like 1130 when we went down. And then all of a sudden you could see some plane flying. And 
uh, way up in the air. They couldn't see us. Were and, they looking for you? Yeah. Okay. It was Mr. Good uh, in uh, one of the planes in uh, Sugarloaf. Uh, the guy that does the sightseeing trips, he was up. And then a helicopter was flying, but they were way too far away. And then they came down low. And what happened, that was on a Saturday, on June 1st, I forgot what year it was, when they were having the offshore boat races and they made it call made it shorter because it was so rough. And that helicopter came from that, that site where they right. were doing the races. And I could see the helicopter about a mile from where we were at hovering. And what it was, it was one of our coolers that was floating. Oh, that got loose. And they were looking they got at loose. That. So they knew that we were in the water. Right. And, uh, so my, uh, somebody at the restaurant said that, uh, they think, uh, sorry, no, they okay. think, uh, Tim and Gloria sank. <laughs> so, so, uh, at the uh, restaurant and, uh, one of my friends, uh, Roy Payne, the officer, Lieutenant, he heard uh, heard the call, and he wasn't working that day. He was off, and uh, he he jumped in his patrol boat, <laughs> and uh, I guess we Gloria said to me, and I never forget it. She said, "Well, tell my kids," I said, mm. "that I love them," you know, and that really tore me up. <laughs> So, uh, so uh, after that, I said, you're not going anywhere. You're staying here with me. You're not going. So about 5 o'clock, the helicopter kept flying back and forth. And all of a sudden, I said to Gloria, I said, I can see the light. Now, it's still daylight, but they got a light on their helicopter, the front light. And it's coming. I said, oh, my God, they're coming over. They're coming over. And about that time, you know, I'm on a, I've been dropped off. The, I keep hanging on to the bow, the top, straddling it while she's on the cooler. And all of a sudden, he comes over and drops a smoke locator. Hmm. And all they of a sudden. You. Yep. And, and, then and I this said, is five, six hours later? Four and a half. Four about, about four and a half hours. And all of a sudden, I could hear this boat. Boom. Coming out of the water. It was Roy. Yeah. He wasn't very far. Yeah. And he threw a life ring out at us as he coming to us. And then the friggin' life ring looked like a Frisbee hauling ass. I looked and I said, I ain't swimming out there to go get to that life jacket. Jesus Christ, I've held on this friggin' boat so damn long. I ain't letting go of it. <laughs> so uh, he comes up, pulls up, gets me in the boat, and we get Glory in the boat. And he hauls ass right to... He said, you guys, all right, put the life jacket on there. And uh, and he, Roy, uh, like I said, and uh, the Coast Guard uh, had a uh, another boat out, but they were farther, a little farther away. Roy just took off and left them and took us right in. Good for you. But uh, You know, it's interesting in the fact that I have a friend that was on uh, Mount Everest in 1996, that big tragedy where eight people died. They climbed the summit of, of Everest. They were l late in their departure. 
they got caught by a big storm. And my friend from Aspen, Neil Beidelman, was one of the guides on that expedition. Now the storm came in, it's 70 miles an hour. The temperatures are well below zero. And they can't find, you know, Camp 4. And they're stranded on, at 26,000 feet on the top of Mount Everest. And Neil Beidelman said, this is how people die. But we are not dying. Mm-hmm. And that's what you were saying to Gloria. Yeah. I said, we, the only thing I would, was going to worry, I would be worried is like if it got dark. Right. If they can't find us in the daytime, there's no way in hell they're going to find us at night. For sure. How cold were you? It wasn't cold. It was warm. But the trouble was we were sucking up the salt water because there are breakers over top of you. And it's, you could smell the gas fumes all around you, you know. I mean, because you could smell it. Right. How far offshore were you? We were about 450 feet of water. So pretty far off. And that, well, we were, by the time they ended up finding us, we were right about between Key and American Shoals. Wow. Drifting inward. And this was how long ago? Oh, uh, shoot. I'm going to say probably... 15 years ago? Yeah, I'd say 17 years, 18 years ago. Right. And uh, Pat Pat Brazier was at Bow Channel tarpon fishing when he saw us going out dolphin fishing. And he thought, he said, damn, Tim's going out there. It looks like it's awful rough. But the seas were supposed to be one to two feet. But what happened was they never changed the the uh, the forecast, forecast yeah. because it's on a weekend. And another boat sank and both those guys drowned and they were they were right there by seven mile bridge in a little uh aluminum boat same boat, day same day probably thought the same thing yeah the same day and, and they, uh, they both they both died yeah oh but gosh it's well, you, you know made, you made it man we made it and like i said you know it it's really I could, I should have got the life jackets out before, but I wasn't expecting to sink, you know, but it was rough. So I should have put those life jackets on, but I didn't. And that was my mistake. But I did know one thing. We ain't leaving the boat. I mean, even, even though we don't have much of a boat showing, you could not tell that we were, I mean, because the only thing was, was just the bow, the motor and all that was underwater. Sure. It was was just sitting straight up. It wasn't like this. It's like this. Right. I mean, and I, that, that igloo, 120 quart igloo cooler held Gloria. The handles never broke off. We even sent a letter to a igloo to tell them. It, it, it saved their saved their life. Let it, yeah, yeah, let them know about their cooler. Yeah, wow. Uh, but had it been from, like I said, Roy Payne when he heard that that uh, that we were out there, he he kept he was mowing his yard. He jumped in his boat right away, and uh, he came and got you. Came and got us, and you would have done the same for him. Oh yeah, yeah. Every you time know. I see him, I say, man, you saved my life. You know? <laughs> but, yeah, good for you guys. Yeah. Um, what was, the, um, what was the, the biggest joy that you and Gloria had? I'll tell you, uh, we had a lot of good times, snapper fishing and bone fishing and just fishing, you know. She was a, like I said, she, she loved doing what I did. Right. Well, it's interesting, and when we drove up, we saw the puddles, and there you were outside, and yeah. with a big old smile on your face, surrounded by all these wonderful plants and flowers. Yeah, there's still her. Yeah, she she told me she said when I go, she said you can just let them die. I said I ain't letting them die. Right. So yeah. I keep them watered and all that. But- when when my mom passed, um, 
my mom was 66. She died of colon cancer. And when she died, just prior to her death, she made a list for my dad of just a couple of women that he was allowed to date. Oh. It was really funny. And my father ended up, you know, hanging out with one of the three women that my mom made this list for my father. And now you're dating this wonderful yes. woman. Tell and, me about that relationship. And that's, that's and what Gloria. I was going to tell you. This, this is a good part. And I'll tell you, it's uh, the girl's name is Marianne uh, uh, Martin. And she used to work at the bank up here at Summerlin, at the uh, Summerlin Bank there. And uh, she would come and take care of Gloria, watch Gloria. Gloria had got dementia, too, also. Gloria went through a whole kind of... Gloria had... Uh, she had cancer, too, didn't she? She had breast cancer. She had knee replacement. She had uh, back surgery done. She had shoulder replacement. She had everything. She was a bionic woman. She was a warrior. <coughs> Excuse me. And... Uh, Marianne was our banker and uh, took care of us at the bank. She loved Marianne. And Marianne uh, said, you know, he says, uh, Tim, you want me to do, take her uh, fish, uh, take her uh, to lunch and stuff like that? I'll watch her. I love Gloria. So from then on, uh, Marianne would come over to the house and she'd bring, lunch, she'd bring dinner. She'd make dinner. Marianne, she is one heck of a cook. Oh, my God. She's Italian. And I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> she can make some food. Oh, that's awesome. And she'd call up and said, uh, Tim, I'm bringing over this dish and all that. We'll have it and we'll have dinner and all that and stuff like that. And uh, at that time, she was on a, a thing of getting divorced also, you know. She was getting divorced. And uh, before Gloria passed away, uh, Gloria said to Marianne, she says, I want you to hook up with Tim. And uh, she she even told me the same thing. She says, I want you to hook up with Mary Ann, Tim, when I go. She says, I don't want you going around and going out with no bimbos. <laughs> and I'm going to myself, what's a bimbo? <laughs> Maybe I'd like to try it. <laughs> yeah, what is a bimbo? And then Mary Ann told me, she said, you know what your Gloria told me? I said, yeah, I know what Gloria told me also. So Mary Ann's had moved to, she got divorced and she'd moved up to uh, uh, Boynton, uh, Boynton Beach now. No, uh, not Boynton Beach. That's where her mom lives at, uh, Port Port Orange, and that's where I'm going this weekend. Uh, for this for well, leaving Thursday, I'm gonna go up to her. She's gonna have a birthday and all that. But her and I, uh, we don't see each other that much, but when she came down with her mom before not too long ago. And I said, this will be the first time I've taken a trip off the Island. And Oh my God, to drive off this Island. Well, I'm, I'm going to be lost once I get past worldwide sports. <laughs> <laughs> and that's only 40 miles away. <laughs> that's right. In fact, that's where glory and I used to go is that's as far as I would go was worldwide sports. But that was, that, that was it. So you haven't been out of the keys in a couple of years. I haven't been off the keys in probably I'd say close to, oh, last time I went with Adolphus, with uh, Dougie, and we went to Adolphus Bush's place, and that's been uh, probably 12, 18 years. Wow. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. How'd you get the name Outcast? I'll tell you, that is a good one. 
it might I this is this is the God's honest truth. Before I got my captain's license, uh, Nat Nat Ewer used to work the marina for Mister Good at the own the motel Lloyd right. Good, and he had the marina there. And he said, Tim, what are you going to name your boat? So, and I said, you know what? So I think I'm going to name it Outcast. He said. That sounds like a good name. It it wasn't an outcast like being an outcast. Right. It was outcast you. I could outcast you fishing with uh, a plug and rod. I could outcast you. That's what that meant. Because it's interesting because yeah. you never know what that means. So I, right. I, I, I would th- think that they see, I'm going to go fishing on the outcast with uh, Captain Tim. And most people think outcast. Did he? Is he at a prison? Uh, is he an outlaw? <laughs> the see, way, this yeah. is what is like. I could outcast you. I right. used to fish with my dad. On the people, he would, I would be made on his boat, you know, because he wanted me to go with him. And I would catch those barracuda like by around the lighthouses off of uh, Smith Shoals. I could get those barracuda to eat that tube lure where other people couldn't do it. I teased the heck out of them, you know, but they always watched, wanted me to do it for them. And show me how to do that again, Tim, you know. So I would, I would also made on my dad's boat when he, you know, when he got his license and all that, take him fishing. But the outcast sure. part, I named, then I end up having to change it, the outcast. Like I was the first outcast. I put the outcast right. in front. Because this guy, Dave Wiley, that came down many years ago, uh, he's real estate now. He had a dive boat. He named his boat Outcast. And I was in the Coco's Cantina. And somebody says, hey, Tim, your car's parked out there. I said, I don't have a car. I got a truck. He says, no, your truck car's out there. It says Outcast on the side. Had it postered on the side. These magnet things. Right. I said, that's my boat name. So I went and confronted Dave Wiley, and I says, hey, man. I Did said, you key his car first? No, no, I didn't do that. <laughs> but I said, hey, the name of my boat's Outcast, and I've been here a long time, you know. And he said, well, I never heard of anybody's boat name Outcast. I said, I've had it there for a long I, I'm the one that had And I said, are you going to change it? Because he just got down there and moved down there. It was a dive boat, and then he started wanting to go do this fishing. And he goes, no, I'm not going to change it. So... One of my guys that I fished with that uh, used to deal with Reebok shoes and all that, he said, Tim, name it The Outcast. Mm-hmm. So I, that's why I put the D in front of it because right. I didn't want somebody to have an outcast and they're thinking it's mine. So, right. so that's why I did that. You know, it, but, uh, I saw this photograph of uh, this big um, kind of like a pontoon air raft. <laughs> Yellow. I was going to bring that up. You were talking about you and Gloria just love to go fishing. Tell us about that story and that photograph and and what you found that day. Oh, the the, the Cuban boat? Oh, yeah. We were, I had, we had my goddaughter out. Yeah, I got the picture you want to see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll get that later, but uh, speak about that. But anyway, uh, we were over by Monkey Island, Loggerhead, and uh, we pull up around a corner and there's a, refugee boat like a a homemade built with an engine inside it and uh it it hadn't been there very long because you can it wasn't even tied up and it was like 20 foot long 20 maybe a 21 foot and uh i told gloria i said gloria get the camera and eric and i are going to jump in the boat and act like we're fishing and believe it or not i did say 
all right, if anybody's in those islands, the mangroves there, don't come out. Don't jump out because I can just see myself, somebody stealing our boat. Right. So we backed off a little, Gloria backed off a little bit with the boat. And then I got Erica, my goddaughter, in the front with the fishing rod. I took my push pole. I got in the back and I'm acting like they're cast over there. There's a fish there. That's so, your skiff. Yeah, that's my <laughs> skiff. So I had her cast. And so I had Gloria make the picture. So now I'm going to have my business cards with that picture on there. Was there anyone in the mangroves? Okay, so what happened was, I, when we got back in, the boat wasn't even tied up. So when we got back in, I told one of the Marine patrols, uh, Jimmy Johnson, I told him, I said, hey man, there's a Cuban refugee boat over there by Monkey Island and it's not tied up and it's laying alongside of the mangroves. And he says, I oh, will have somebody check it out. Well, the next day, Somebody called in and said there were some people on the island, on Monkey Island. Lo and behold, they got eight Cuban refugees off that boat, off wow. that island. So they were in there when I was on their boat, but they never came out. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, you know. So, yeah, can, there was somebody on it. Can you imagine that trip that they had to escape Cuba? Yeah. The and, 90 miles and that, that, and, that and, raft. Right. But I tell you, it was built very good. I mean— have they made it across here? It built it was built pretty good, but there were the reason why I'm thinking that they there were somebody still hadn't been very long because there was still water big gallon water jugs still In tied up alongside for drinking water. Sure. And they weren't all empty. You it knew was, right away it was a refugee boat. Oh, yeah. You can tell the way right. they're, yeah. It's right. pieced we, together. Yeah, the way it's built up and all that stuff. But to put an engine, a car engine inside it, how did that thing could... Figure out how to put a prop and all that. Yeah, exactly. And what was the fishing like in Sugarloaf back when you first started guiding, when you were 15, 16, Oh, shoot, 17? you didn't see a lot of boats back there fishing at all. And the only only person that was in my way was Steve Huff. And you let him have his way? Or did I let him ever, have his way. Did you ever argue out there? No, but we did. We had our arguments when we got back to the dock. You did? What kind oh, of arguments God were they? Almighty. It's like Over a beer? No, yeah, well, that too. But the other good part was looking in his bucket and seeing how many snapper he had in his five-gallon bucket and how many snapper I had in my bucket. And <laughs> then we'd come up with some stories like, Jesus, you should have seen this fish that we had on all that. And and we, we tried to do is we tried to outdo each other. Right. The story one got, up. yeah, one's going to get bigger. And then we had where you'd be at the boat ramp and uh, Steve would, I'd go down there and talk to Steve or we'd tell a joke or something like that. But many years ago, Steve would say, whatever you do, Tim, don't let these guys in Marathon know about this area down here. So, you know, yeah. that, but. Pretty special times. At that time it was. In fact, I remember a couple of times when Steve was on one side of this island and he's in another basin. And the one day I went out by myself, I was in my little 14 foot boat and all the way I could see in this whole bay, I could see fish jumping. Well, I thought there were dolphin at first and then I stopped the boat. I had tarpon all around me, everywhere. And then free jumping. All I had was these lures that I bought. You never see these things in catalogs where these freshwater lures and stuff, creek chubs and sure. all this stuff. I had all that. I lost every one of my lures. <laughs> And I only had like eight pound test line, you know, on that on the Fluger Supreme plug and reel. And I know it's 15 pound, but no leader and stuff. And when the plug, the fish would throw the plug, another tarpon to hit the plug. 
and it's not even on in the line. Well, when we came back in, I told Steve about all these fish that I saw. He said, you know something? I saw them the day before, and I went back to the same place. They weren't there. He said they moved to your side, <laughs> and that's what they did. They moved to the other basin. So you used to run around in the backcountry back then and maybe see one boat a day? Yeah, very few boats. And you know what I did a lot of fishing? I did barracuda fishing also with creek chubs with plugs. And I'd, I'd catch mutton snapper on the coral heads. They're like uh, 11 pounds was the biggest one I got in the backcountry using a creek chub. Yellow and dotted uh, yellows with the dot, the wooden ones, you know. What's your favorite fish? I like them all. I lo- but like I said, I love snapper fishing for eating fish, dolphin fish. I like it all. And, and, and it's not not one fish I don't like to go. I, I just like something to pull on the line. Except, you know, sometimes the Jack Cravels can be a pain in the ass. But they, sometimes it saves you when other people want to catch them. But, right. So it's not bonefish. I love bone fishing. I love bone fishing. I love permit fishing. Gloria's favorite one was the bonefish. The reason for that is... You don't have to fight a tarpon, like a tarpon, to wear you out more. Where she, when her, the way she was, uh, she couldn't handle a tarpon a really long time. And the bonefish was the best. But I, the, my bonefishing, I'm, I'm going to tell you something, I spent more time bonefishing than any other, and I do love that. But for eating fish, I'll take a snapper. Right. Uh Mark Kroka said when you guys used to fish <clears throat> the little palm tournament uh-huh. and it was bad weather, there was only one man that was going to win that tournament. <laughs> and it was Timmy Carlisle. Oh, he, tell said, you. he said we'd all come in with a with an A an A game. We only had an, a plan A, but you had a plan B, a plan C, D, and an E. He said you, you had it covered. And if it was foul weather, just give you the plaque right now. We can all go home. Well, you know, believe it or not, uh, I found out that you know, the fish do move in certain places at a certain time and at a certain temperature. And, you know, when we had the, I don't know if you were there or not, when they, the lady comes up to the marina and said, listen, we're having a, uh, a not a tournament, but we're for for uh, Bonefish Trust. They were doing tagging. Right. But they were doing it with, uh, uh, you cut the fin off. Right. Either the pectoral fin or whatever part. Just and a little it, chunk. Right, a little piece, and then you put it in a bag and, and all that, and then they go check. They, they had a, a tournament for, I think it was uh, for four weeks or so, and the whoever most. got the most fish uh, tagged, they won a cooler. They won a... Uh, Better be an igloo. Yeah, 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 Yeti cooler. <laughs> right. It was a Yeti cooler, and it's got bonefish trust on it. Right. Tarpon trust. A blue one. Well, I didn't, I'm fishing these people, you know, and I'm not really fishing that tournament, but I'd entered a fish. And uh, we were fishing in probably, I would say, bottom fishing in probably, I would say, eight, nine feet of water. And I'd go for the snapper, and then all of a sudden, you know, I said, you don't want to try for some bonefish in here? Because, you know, the snapper fish, weren't they great? Sure. And boom, we'd get a bonefish. Boom, get another bonefish. I found out that in this certain areas they, that they like that deeper water. Well, come to find out on the last day of this, I was turned my fish in while I was fishing. Now, this wasn't just one person. This is like the cumulus time you're fishing certain people. And uh, 
a girl comes up there to the marina and she's picking up the things and I'm getting ready to head out to go fishing. And she says to Jeannie at the marina there at the time, Jeannie and Jimmy had the marina. She said, uh, do you have any tag fish, you know, I mean, any more entries? And she said, yeah. And the girl says, is it Tim, Captain Tim? I said, yeah. She says, uh, will you tell him, is he going to be at the uh, banquet, which I didn't know anything about? And she said, he's right outside getting ready to leave. And she comes out and she says, uh, Tim, are you going to be joining us at our banquet up in Alamorado on the, what you call a day? I says, well, I don't know. She says, well, I just want to let you know you won the most tagged bonefish. And I wasn't even really trying to, <laughs> right, to win it. Right. So anyway, I, I forgot. It was Timmy Klein, I guess, or something like that. Where in the heck did you guys catch? Where did you catch those at, Tim? We've been, those guys were out there trying to find, to catch them. Right. And I've been snapper fishing and bone fishing and, and I want it. That's Not a, even that's trying. That's just a testament to how good you are. It, it's just something that just, I hit the, you know, and, and it was really something because everybody was, couldn't find them. Well, they weren't in the shallow water. I can tell you that. Right. So Which that's because. Is where of, most people look for them. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about uh, your, your biggest bone fish. My 1410. With Pepe Lopez. Right there, big guy. 1410. Tell me about that story. That I'll tell you, that's a story. Because I've never... Pepe fishes with Billy Knowles, you know. He right, fished with Harry tackle. Snow. Yep. He fished with Harry Snow in all those tournaments, you know. I never fished Isla Mirada in my life. Pepe said to me, he says one day, he says, I'm going to take you up to Isla Mirada. He says, I'm going to show you some big bonefish up there. These down here aren't like the ones up there. And he said, you're not going to catch these fish up there because they're smart. They're not dumb like the ones you have here. And then I go, what do you mean? He says, well, th these fish, you, you can't land the shrimp right on their nose. And you can't land it that close. They cannot see that bait hit because if they do, they're going to spook. He says, I'm not like the ones down here, Tim. I'm telling you. So one day he says, you know what? He calls me up. He's coming from Miami. He said, let's go. We're going to fish Isla Mirada the next day. You got a booking? I said, no. He says, okay, I'm gonna, we're going to go up there. And I'm going to take you up there, and you're not going to catch him. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. <laughs> well, the first place we went to was Shell Key. And I caught one about probably 11 and a half pounds. And I said, Peppy, I'm going to have this one mounted. He said, no, nah, don't worry about it. You'll catch a bigger one than that. I said, before you told me, I couldn't catch any. And now you're telling me I can catch one? Of course, I did spook a couple more, and I did land a crab. But I was using a uh, broke the crab up, you know? Yeah, let the scent go out that. of it. Yeah, yeah. sure. And, and, but the thing is, to get it ahead of them, because at some places the pinfish are so bad, they eat the shrimp up too fast, you know? Right. So that's when you use a piece of the crab. Well, anyway, it was, I, I blew a couple. I, I spooked them. And, and you got to know Peppy. Oh, I can't oh imagine my how God. He, he was yelling at you. Oh my God. The profanity. That guy, that guy could not become a guide. <laughs> There's no way he's going to have a client after he gets done fishing with him that day. Give me, a, give me an example of, what he, of, of that situation when he'd yell at you. What would he be saying? How would he say it? Oh. Uh, give, give, it, give, it, give it all to me. I can't say the F yeah, word. Oh, yeah, you can. Bertie, you stupid fuck. <laughs> God damn it, the fish is right there to the right. Too, too goddamn close to it, you stupid son of a bitch. And oh my God, it's, it's like- All day I, long. All day long. In other words, you're like nervous. Like you know, and, I, and I looked at him, I said, Pepe, you want to throw this friggin' rod? You go ahead and throw it. 
I about had this shit. Take my ass back into the dock. <laughs> so anyway, we take off and we go. Uh, you got to know, I I could help with Peppy when he was a little kid. I used to take him tarpon fishing and all that. And Bo Channel, we'd be fishing in the channel and all that. We'd go offshore with his dad and all this. But the best one was when we go to this other place. I don't know if Peppy let me tell where we were at, but I'm going to say where we were at. Where I caught that world record was at bank. And we Peppy's up there on the platform, and I see this friggin' fish, and he goes, look, look, there's one right there. I said, I see it. And it was a big tail. And I thought it would look like a little tarpon or something, you know? And Peppy's up on the platform, and he says, okay, no, don't, don't throw yet, don't throw yet. And I'm going, I'm not going to throw yet. I'm not even close. I can't reach the goddamn thing is what I told him. So he starts pulling the boat over, and he stops it. And I said, okay, stop the boat. Stop the, stop the boat. He's stopped tailing now. I don't know where in the hell he's at. And I'm looking, and he's working this little edge. To, to, you can see the bonefish stop, and then all of a sudden his tail would come up. I took that, and I said, son of a bitch, Tim, don't you blow this one. <laughs> I don't want to hear this shit. So I threw the goddamn shrimp. I, this one, I had the shrimp on it. I threw it up ahead and because I knew the tide was moving. And the fish is still moving, and he's going. And I kept watching him. And all of a sudden, I see his tail, and, and his tail comes up, and I could feel the shrimp. Boom, boom, boom. I could feel it. I said, shit, he's got it. All of a sudden, I set the hook. Now I got the son of a bitch takes off. And I said, Peppy, Peppy. Peppy's like in a friggin' daze. And I go, I got him on. He said, you got him? I God damn it, I got him. He, he's on, he's on. I said, get the goddamn boat. Come on, let's go, let's go. He's running, he's running. Ah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He ain't going to get wrapped around anything. What a line of shit that was. <laughs> sure as shit, we start pulling out. The fish is way off to the right, and there's a friggin' sponge, and he's hooked onto the sponge. I said, you dumb shit, he's right here. He's got it wrapped around the sponge. I popped it off there, and here comes the I got the fish still on. I said, I thought you said there wasn't going to be a thing in a wrap. Oh, shit, I didn't think there was anything out over here. Well, shit, it dropped down off about probably maybe two more feet down. We took off, started pulling the boat. Then he started to motor up, started motoring. I said, come on, get, God damn it, get up to him. Finally, we get it up by the boat. It took about probably 25 minutes to get the fish up by the boat. He pulls out this friggin' net. It looks like a lobster net. It was just a little handheld net. And I look and I said, shit, that's the only net you got? Yeah, that'll work, it'll work. He takes and puts the net on, underneath the head of the fish. The fish comes up and flops into the boat and the hook pulls out. Holy. I said, "Holy shit. God. That thing, he says, my God, that's a, that's a record fish. That thing's got to be 14, 15 pounds. He said, let's put it in the live well. We're going to run it in. So we go in and we run it in. And I said, you sure? He said, God damn it, I know it is. That's got to be. <clears throat> so we run into where War, the Lorelei. Right. Well, there ain't nobody there to weigh a fish in up there. <clears throat> so we end up going by boat and went to Bud and Mary's. <clears throat> Bud and Mary's there. And we come into the dock. And I forgot who was there. I think there was a guy who said something about Pepe goes, uh, we want to weigh a fish in. And he says, where's it at? And he says, it's right here in the live well. And we the fish is stuck way out of the live well. It can't, it, it's, won't you know. Fit. Uh, right, it won't fit. It won't fit. It's not. And uh, the guy says, oh, my God. He says, Jesus Christ. He said, hurry up, weigh it and turn it loose. 
I said, well, I got to weigh it in. I got to weigh it in. I'm going to weigh it. I got to have somebody see this. See, it's got to have somebody knows what they're doing. So he calls up. I forgot who the guy was. George Hummel? No, no, the guy that called him. Oh, okay. So the guy says, hold on a minute. So he calls up George Humble from, from his worldwide sportsman. George came over. We put him in a live well in the shrimp tank. We put this in the shrimp tank, but the fish kept going upside down. He wouldn't stay straight up. George came. George gets over there, puts it on a scale, jumps off the scale, puts it back on his scale, tries to hold it, bounces back off the scale. Well, the fish ain't going to make it. There's no way in hell right. because we've been handling it so long. Now we're taking the measurements of it and the girth of it and all this. And, uh, I said, George, I said, don't worry about it. I said, because I'm going to put it in the cooler. I'm going to have it mounted. And I'm going to call gray taxidermy up and have it mounted. So uh, George took all the paperwork down on it and all that. And he said, Tim, man, what a, that's a hell of a nice fish. And I took the line samples and pictures and all that. And sure enough, uh, came back. It was a world record, 1410, an eight-pound spinning tackle. And that stood for quite a while. At five years. Yeah. But the, the, the supposedly the person that beat me with a 15-pounder, they said supposedly they waited in the boat, and the guys, some of the guys didn't like that. They yeah, said, you it's, know. It's, you can't weigh a world so, so it's not it's, it's not accurate if you weigh in the boat because the, it's tipping a little bit. They, the weight they tri- said they had a. you got to be uh, on dry ground. I, I heard yeah. that fish was weighed on a marlin scale. Or something. And yeah. It, and, and they shouldn't have, they, that should have never been. Wade, right, or something. I I don't know exactly, but it was beat like five years. It didn't make any difference. I got it world record at, and I don't care shit how long it lasts. Right, you got it. Then I got it. You get But let me tell you something. I will admit, Peppy knows his shit. Yes, about he does. where he's he's fished with the top guides. He's fished with Billy Knowles. He's, he's won the old tackle like five times. Yeah, in the, in the spring tackle like yeah. three times. No, he's he's. He's a, he's the man up there for a long time. Yeah, with the bait he, stuff. he really was. And and here I was growing up, and I was taking him fishing, and then he took me up there. That's the last time I fished up there. And by one o'clock, we had that world record bonefish. So Peppy says, "Okay, now we're gonna go out. Let's go on the ocean side." I said, "What the shit are we gonna go to do now?" I said, "I got a world record for Christ's sake. What do I want to go back out for?" You know, like I said, yeah, just like what are we gonna do? Is something better? You know, but it was really exciting. And, and well, well, you've always been a prankster, I know. You know, <laughs> and I understand some kids used to steal some beer out of your boat. Tell me that story. Well, I don't know. They're I don't even know if they're alive now. <laughs> I don't know but uh, you could see that that somebody had been taking some beers out of the boat. So I took and uh, peed in a bottle, beer bottle, and put the cap back on, and. uh so they stopped stealing your beer. <laughs> the, they weren't taking no more bottled beer. <laughs> <laughs> and but, werewolf stuff. Oh, ice God. Coolers, yeah. Alligator in yeah, the yeah, shrimp uh, the, tank. Shrimp tank, alligator. The best, the, the good one was the, I, I dressed up with a, a wolf mask and I put the, I had the whole thing set up with the gloves and all that. That was during one of one of fantasy fests or one of the Halloween things. And I got in the ice core and, uh, I told the other guys, I said, you know, and knowing Dougie, though, he would he would be the one that would lock the friggin' freezer on me. I mean, that, that's the only thing I worried about, because that son of a bitch would do it. Uh, yeah, and would. I'm thinking, here, I'll, I'll be like this, frozen, like this, <laughs> after they unlock, you know. Well, anyway, Ron Ward, 
uh, that guide that is Sugarloaf there. He runs like bottom fishing boat and all that. Uh, he, they told him, go get the, uh, no, he, he was going to get his bag of ice. Let me tell you something. When he opened that cooler up, I come out. <laughs> that son of a bitch dropped that bag and started running. And I thought the guy was going to have a heart attack. I swear to Christ. He said, Jesus Christ, Tim. Oh, my God. And, and Dougie, he uh, he laughing his ass off. I mean, he's laughing so goddamn funny. Tell yeah. me about the um, your Vietnam experience. Yeah, I uh, when when I uh, when I quit when I did my tenth year in school. You know, I was on the draft. I was eighteen, and they drafted me. I went uh, to uh, Germany for well. I went to uh, my Fort Leonard, Missouri, for my AIT and all that basic training south. And I went there, and uh, I went as a combat engineer. So then I went to Germany and spent, uh, what the heck was it, nine months and eight months in uh, Germany and uh, drove the captain around. I did a lot of mostly inspections and then they did a lot of field tests and all that. And then it came time to, you could volunteer for Vietnam or whatever, you know, but I didn't volunteer for it. I didn't want no part of it. But guess who gets picked? I did. So I spent my last 11 months in Vietnam. But some guys all wanted Vietnam. I didn't want it. And mm-hmm. yeah. but but you go wherever they put you. Right. And and I was picked to go there. So I spent my 11 months there and I'm going to tell you something. It was at uh I I I think everybody should go to, at that time. They should have never stopped the draft, but service, I tell you something, it'll I you'll see a lot less people getting hurt and all this stuff if those kids would respect what you know i mean a lot of shooting going on and all that but but the service would sure as heck straighten you out a little bit what 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 part of your life what incident if there was one such a thing that 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 turned you from a young man into a real man I still don't think I'm a young, a real man. I'm still just a young kid. <laughs> you're just, I still act like you're... a young kid. But I will, t- I, I will tell you, I did drive an assault boat over there in in Vietnam too. And tell me about that. That's when you make sure that the air's filled up on your goddamn your raft. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was uh, like a twenty. You could hold twenty one people on that thing. But my sergeant and I. We drove over, assaulted a river, but there were mountain yarders, supposedly. They'd already left, but we were helicoptered in and all that. But I was picked to run this Johnson motor because I know about motors, you know. And we blew up this raft, got the guys in it and all that stuff. And we went across the river, dropped them off. We were coming back. Well, what happens is the friggin' boat goes like this, the motor's hanging down low because there wasn't enough air. We didn't have it pumped up enough. But with everybody in it, it, it was, was fine. Tight. It was tight with everybody right. in it. But when it when it wasn't, it was like this. My sergeant's up in the front like this, standing there, and I'm keeping the motor from going under to get back to the other side. And the, the trees are moving. It could have been monkeys or frogs, I know. And I said, <laughs> shit, they're shooting. Start shooting up there. Don't what the hell it is, you know? Because we know where our guys are at, but I can see the trees going. I'm just waiting for something to, to somebody to fire back or something. But we got back on the other side, and that was it. And we ended up 
putting more air in it but there was nobody up there there were monkeys i think yeah. they were swinging from tree but <laughs> you don't know when you see something moving you know right well but, there's a basin down here that i've always seen you tarpon fish in for years and you know where i'm talking about and i'd see you periodically but my ex-wife used to go you know uh t- she'd fish topless down there with me and i think you remember we were out there one day and i saw you run by and i just see you once in a while and that whole week i was down there fishing i'd see you every fucking day 50 yards from me <laughs> well you had some good looking women i'll tell you that and it's, like i said you know uh it, um i'll tell you if i if if i'm not on the water i mean i'm always on the water and uh I enjoy it on my days off. I'd even, you know, I'd be out there fishing and it's somebody that's got to like what they do. And I could not do anything else. I mean, as long as I know is as long as I can pay my rent and you know, you know, I don't make a lot of money doing this. It's just enough to live off of. And, uh, it's just to be happy, what you enjoy doing. You well, if I could, I couldn't fish anymore. I don't know. I would probably be in the same situation like Gloria said. You know, I can't do this. I can't do this. Is what Gloria said. I remember this. She says, "I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't fish no more. <laughs> you know, I just want to die. And <laughs> if I can't fish anymore, I don't know." You're going to keep fishing for a long time, bro. Yeah, I hope so. You're one of the wealthiest person I know. Well, I mean, you are the, I tell you, you're, you're so rich in love. Your heart yeah. is one of the biggest hearts I know. And everybody that knows Timmy Carlisle will say, will have the same sentiments. You know, yeah. I mean, just look at how much you wear your heart on your sleeve with all the, your friends, Gloria yeah. and Marianne. We feel the same about you, bro. Well, thank you very much. And I'll tell you another person I really love, too, was Adolphus Bush. Pat Bennett, that fishes me now, took over Gloria's spot in the Marathon Bonefish Tournament. He's a great guy also. I have a lot of them. Steve Steve Wodell, he's a great guy. Uh, He's one of my great customers, too. I mean, he came down here after this, you know, like, chartered and he said tim he said i know we had you booked for may and we couldn't make it down but he says i'm gonna make sure i come in september to fish with you to keep us going because you know we didn't have no charters you know they all got canceled out but i will tell you the truth you know and to everybody out there i'll tell you when you these women are really sweethearts every one of them so you Got to take good care of them. Here, here. Yeah. Because the women are really, I love, I love women. I love, I love every one of them. And uh, I don't care. But these guys, you know, say, oh, geez, you know, he says, oh, we can do without her and all that bullshit. It's bullshit. Because uh, you lose a companion, you, you, uh, you, and you've got to try to find another one or, but there's, uh, like I said, Marianne is uh, a sweetheart. She's a sweetheart. But and Gloria knows her, and the good part is Gloria loves her too. And Marianne loved Gloria. Gloria would be sitting here on the chair. Marianne would be sorting out stuff, you know, for Gloria. We don't need this tub of wear and all this, you know, because Gloria had every. When Gloria had 
dementia also, which was really bad. And I tried to keep her as long as I could until she finally, I, I, I was worried that because she would say, you know, I just want to jump off the balcony, you know, and all that, but I'm afraid that I'll just hurt myself and I won't kill myself, you know. It, and it kind of worries you. I'd be in the boat all day long, you know, and, and I get 10, 10 phone calls. Where are you at? You know, so, and it hurts to see what goes on inside it. And it wasn't her that was, it was just that, that disease. Yeah. yeah. Terrible. Yeah. To see anybody go through that. And I know exactly how people feel when they say, oh, my, my mom's got dementia. I said, oh. And I've had people tell me, they said, it's not going to get any better, Tim. And uh, finally, we had to finally put her into a home, you know. And, right. And I didn't want to do that. Well, I kept her as long as I could because, but then when uh, I'd come home, she'd be sitting, laying on the floor. She couldn't get up because of her knees and all that. And she'd be, Throwing stuff around and all that. It was, right. it was, it was really She's in bad. a better place. And, and uh, yeah, and uh, I'd go down and visit her all the time. And the girls, uh, I will admit, I'll tell you something. The girls at uh, Health and Rehabilitation Center in Key West, they took care of Gloria like you wouldn't believe, like it was her mother. They they loved listening to her stories when she was telling about fishing stories and all that. And, uh, it was really great, and I, and I had it written up in the paper and all that of all the awards she had gotten, and right, and she, but you know, it's uh, it's like anything else. She loved to fish, and I, I, I mean, we went every weekend fishing, every weekend, and then I wasn't booked up, and right. then and then that's when uh, she couldn't do any more in the marathon bonefish tournament, and. Pat Bennett asked Gloria, said, Gloria, can I take your place and fish this tournament? Gloria said, you sure can. And from then on, Pat was a professional golfer also. He's from Weston. He played golf for 23 years, PGA and all that. Yeah. Right. Well, you're such a caring man. You have such a big heart. And just want to say you've been a role model to a lot of people that I look up to. And I I just I well, love you, Timmy. And I really you. appreciate your friendship. I love you guys, and love, I really do. Love you too, Bo. so much. Thanks. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. So, so such great stories and such a big life. I have a lot of stories. I tell you that. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Tim Carlisle is a gift from God to all of us. Bless his heart. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do us a huge favor and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to see more content or behind the scenes, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you again soon.